this week on Trek Mary Kill, Protoplasm Pizza Spot. Next. Jet, you have ten minutes to come to the bridge, or I'll execute one crew member. We need you, old friend. We need to retake the bridge. We need your robot friend. We can't risk reconnecting him. Data's not exactly alone in there. We're out of options. Track, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Katie. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast Betazoids call Yintaru, a baby of immense size. Joining me this week is Katie Hampton, an actor and improviser here in Los Angeles. Katie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. This week, we are playing Trek, Mary, Kill with Surrender, the eighth episode of Star Trek Picard's third season. I really wanted Katie to be on for her improvisational skills. <laughs> because there's a really important element I wanted to talk about. But before we get into any of that, Katie, can you walk us through your Star Trek history, your first memory of it? I have never watched an episode of Picard. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> no my, my mom introduced me to uh, Star Trek back in the day. She was a big TNG fan. And um, I'm pretty sure she was into uh, Deep Space Nine as well. But um, I, I, remember I watched a couple with her when I was a kid and I just, I didn't quite get like the plots and things like that. I loved Data as a kid, but I just didn't keep up with it. And it wasn't until like my mid twenties or so when I was doing a show for Machinima where we were doing the VR power hour and we were playing Bridge Crew, which is a VR game where you basically have to do um, like all of the like epic space missions and things like that but you're either controlling like navigation or command or something like that um it's a really fun game i highly recommend it and i was like I i'm gonna rewatch the star trek because at the time it was all on netflix and i burned through all of that and just the comfort and the the calming sounds of the the doors whooshing and the carpet in the ship it was just like oh i feel like i'm home again <laughs> it reminded me of my mom it was really great I uh, can relate to and I so only slightly embarrassed to admit that I have put on on YouTube the background noise of the Enterprise Bridge and all that stuff. You know, when I'm doing spreadsheets and stuff, it's very soothing <laughs> oh to have on the background. <laughs> I have 100 percent fallen asleep to those sounds. It's so calming. <laughs> That's so nice that you had that thing that you can share with your mom. I mean, for me, Star Trek, it was the thing I shared with my dad. It was like the only thing that we shared before he passed away. So uh, oh, really? I think. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was a long time ago, long time ago. <laughs> like, okay. uh, my, my mom yeah. passed away probably like a decade ago, a little over a decade now. Um, but it, it's one of those memories where it's like it doesn't it wasn't attached to anything huge. It was just a calm and peaceful moment that I can always think of whenever I watch an episode. I'm sure most Star Trek fans, the bulk of them come to it when they're kids in some way. And yeah. it is a thing. For a long time, Star Trek itself, whatever one was on, was meant for the whole family to watch. And as television audience have fragmented over the years, you know, they've tried to figure out, OK, we've got Lower Decks for the, you know, the Rick and Morty crowd or the 20 somethings. Sure. We've yeah. got Prodigy that we're trying to use as our gateway to get kids into it. And then we'll sure. have all this other stuff for all the different ages that are back catalog or, you know, going forward. 
I think sharing it with families is great, which is all the more reason why making this season about Picard having a family is a really big deal. It was kind yeah. of an obvious way to go, but uh, sometimes yeah. the obvious idea, it's it's all about execution. Now you do it. Right. And it, it's interesting because at least this season alone, it feels like there's a theme of running like the sins of our fathers, you know, like it, like gripes and things that we've had from past history, especially with Picard and now, you know, um, with his son. It, it's a fascinating thread that like everyone has been sort of affected by past history of what Jean-Luc has done or what Jean-Luc has come out of. And it's everyone. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, so Surrender is the episode we're discussing this week, and uh, we'll see if we'll trek, marry, or kill it. Uh, it was it premiered on Paramount Plus April 6, 2023, written by Matt Okamura, directed by Deborah Kampmeyer. Memory Alpha synopsis, Vatic forces Picard to make an impossible choice. Deliver what he can never give, or watch the crew of the Titan perish. Their only salvation lies in the mind of an old friend and old foe. Spoiler, the old friend is Data and old foe is Lore. And that's why I wanted you on this one for your acting and improving skills. You are the expert this week. <laughs> Katie, welcome. I'm foisting it on you. You've got to help me walk through this because Brent Spiner is playing uh, two characters against yeah. himself. And I got to imagine that's one of the more difficult things an actor can do. And in this case, Ren Spiner is acting against the only actor in, on this planet he respects himself. But I got to imagine <laughs> it's still very difficult to uh, to do that. So, yeah. Right. Am I right? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly <laughs> difficult. No, and I I love that perspective, too, because, you know, we've seen. Brent Spider do that in the original series um, and it's so nice it's also so nice to see the cast has also kept up with their acting like they're all very good like, I feel like Jonathan Franks is even better than he was um, which is amazing because I guess he was very nervous to get back into it um, I've but... never cried watching Star Trek The Next Generation before and then it was Will Riker is the one who makes me cry. <laughs> Every time. That was Every nuts. Time. He's, he's phenomenal, not only in his directing, but also in his acting. But enough about him. Uh, Brett Spider. Brent, come back. Brett, Brent, we're going to talk about you some more. Come back, Brent Come, on. come back in. I just imagine come he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no, and it's so wonderful to see him be able to flex that muscle because, you know, in the original series, it was just sort of that dead-faced um, <laughs> data, the robot type guy, you know, the most personality we got out of him was after they had that like that sex phase that happened and he banged Tasha <laughs> <Right>. Yar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he had that little jauntiness uh which is always uh, amazing for data have that much emotion after that moment right there's a very famous tweet prestige this streaming that tv still hasn't topped data's first appearance after having sex for the first time <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> that was from uh, Zach Kutzer on March 2nd, 2023. It's a classic Star Trek tweet. You guys got to see it. But anyway, apart from that, this was such a cool thing. It, it, it honestly, it reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever seen Orphan Black, but Tatiana Maslany is the only other person that I can see who can switch between characters so well and also have these different mannerisms and these different ticks that let you know at least visibly what character they're going into and um just the tone of his voice the way he held his body like he was just sitting there he was very still 
but my God, you could tell exactly who he was doing each time he switched. Okay, so I've never been put under oath, but I, I'm, I'm volunteering this information. Okay. The first season, the first season of Orphan Black is probably some of the best acting. Yes. Of the of the 21st century, because yes. of what Tatiana Maslany does in that season, I can't speak for the rest of the show because I I lost, I lost. interest in it very quickly. But sure. that first sen- uh, season is astonishing, absolutely, mm-hmm. and it's much more complicated than what Brent Spiner is doing. But I just got to say. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like Data anymore. So for me, it's a little tricky yeah. whenever he's playing Data. But he looks like Lore when he's playing Lore. He's 74 <laughs> years old and it's, he plays Lore really well. We've covered the whole arc of the Data Lore saga, which started all the way back in season one of The Next Generation. It's like the eighth episode of the first season, uh, Data Lore. It was the last television writing credit for Gene Roddenberry. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it, it just uh, stretching all the way through all this time. Uh, and every time you, just, you could tell he really relished, like, I get to act and make faces. But uh. there was also, you get scenes like in Brothers where he's, you know, it's Data. And he's playing three parts, Brent Spiner. He's mm-hmm. playing, uh, he's playing Soong, Dr. Soong. He's playing Lauren Data. And in that one, you can actually see Laura's evil quote unquote like in the first one it's just clearly in data lore it's just 80s television evil twin stuff there's not too much nuance there in the brothers though you can actually believe when lore is being mildly sympathetic towards data and the whole situation but also you can tell how angry he is as well and then descent let's not speak of descent again but But the whole point is like when Brent Spiner has played lore, he has been on. And in this episode, it's just he's standing on what a a green screen, maybe a blue screen to because of the filters they use. But he's just standing there with some guy wearing a really funny wig or has a really (laughs) across from him and is emoting. And I don't know, it was just really an impressive thing to see in in a kind of a wonky at times episode. And Sure. It was kind of goofy in the mind space, the the data versus lore battle inside the positronic brain. But yeah. it also worked because of the emotion. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 it was also kind of reminding us, it was a little bit of a trip down memory lane with what meant like meant a lot to data himself um data who didn't have emotion and was seeking out emotion so many seasons of tng um but starting to present these sort of trophy like things for like okay so you might be jealous of this moment like here, here's my cat spot he's a trophy to you this is what it meant to me and um i feel like that was such a wonderful way of physicalizing like hey you're jealous of this. This is what this meant to me. And this is how I felt about it. Um, why don't you take it? Because you see it as a, a trophy or a prize. And it's oh, just... Spot. I <laughs> know, Spot. I'm so happy to see Spot. So not expecting Spot, but <laughs> so happy to see him. It's it's something that, you know, you mentioned Lower Decks earlier, um, but it reminded me of an episode with Rutherford where he, his old self was battling his current self his pre-cyborg self was battling his current self in his head and he's like knocked out or something like that and it's it it's dependent on like who wins is who takes over the body and it's the rutherford that we end up knowing and and caring about that hope spoilers for that sorry (laughs) but it, it reminded me a lot of that that sort of 
like interior battle until we get the person that like you know we truly love and that wins the day um and i did tear up a little bit when all the spots started like going blue <laughs> i was like that's right that's right bring them back <laughs> well in this case if you haven't watched the episode katie is referring to the dots not the actual cat spot <laughs> no 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 sorry i just was like oh, that would have been cool if there were a lot of spots running around <laughs> One of the things that this season has really done a nice job of is bringing back threads, characters from the history of the next generation. By the way, as an aside, I love that you call it the original series because <laughs> for us, it is kind more or less, even though the original series I, exists. So I, I know, know if there are older people listening, I'm like, Meh. but I'm I like, know. for us, it is the first one we think of. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. It's the first one it's I think of. It feels like the SNL cast, yeah. What a great you know? point. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it, it's very generational. I mean, it's uh, our generation was the next generation. So it, it feels like the core um, thing that, that brought me into it. I didn't see any of the, like, the original series of Star Trek, um, the actual Gene Roddenberry series, until many, many years later. Well, um, you did see the, the Gene Roddenberry series as the next generation was Gene Roddenberry. Yes, series. the original, <laughs> though. The, the Star Trek OG. I don't even know what to call it now. <laughs> the Kirk days. The Those old scientists. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, that's what we've said before in the show. That's why I think, you know, Voyager is fine. It's harmless. But it, to me, there is an element of like, ah, it's it's as a Star Trek fan of next generation. And also I, I love the original series as well. It is sometimes a bummer. Some, you know, it's like, wh who was your first SNL cast? Like certain casts, right. you're like, oh, all right. Oh, <laughs> you really missed out on some good ones. Wait, let's geek out about that for a second. Who was your okay. first cast? The Will Ferrell years were. Okay. Uh, yeah, with Chris Kattan. And um, it was just before Tina Fey came in, but it was like the Sherry O'Terry mm -hmm. years. And yeah. It was that little bridge. They were coming out of their kind of fallen in a ditch again. And then oh. they were like the cheerleaders started to bring them out of it. And then yes. like Tina Fey eventually got on camera later on. A little bit later. Yeah. Mine was post Lauren returning and there, per there was oh. a purge and it was Dana Carvey. Yes. And um, and 90s. Mike Myers was a little bit later, but yeah, but it was like it was like eighty nine into ninety, but yeah, it was really more in the nineties for sure. So because oh, I caught the I caught the end of Dennis Miller, oh, and then okay. it was Kevin Nealon who I so I liked Kevin oh, Nealon as the weekend great. as the update guy, and then I liked Norm Macdonald though too. So I don't oh Norm was so. awesome, yeah, you know, and it's so funny every time you do this where because you're like oh the SNL cast members like everybody has their generation, but yes. Everyone's just really good, though, because you start to like go back and think of like all even the original cast. They were phenomenal. <laughs> oh, of course. No, I mean, the growing up it, when they came out on DVD, when they had those box sets, oh. I was like, this is a treasure. I actually get to watch them because it was I think they were on VH1. It was just kind of hard to find the original sure. sometimes. So. Yeah, and yeah all they would fantastic. have to like the single episodes and like, here's the best of Sherry O'Terry or like, here's the best of whoever. Right. So I'm just going to ask you your general thoughts on the season, but like I'm going to narrow it down in this in this way. Uh, do you feel like this has been more of a uh, TNG season eight or TNG movie five? You know, I'm going to top that and say it's both. Um, ah, it ah. feels like a 10 hour movie that is a sequel to 
um, the last episode of The Next Generation. Um, it, it, I love how much time they're taking with all of this. I also love that we're we're going through so many different like storylines that are wrapping up, like especially with Data and Lauren in this episode. Like that that's something that we've had for so many years, and I don't think any of the movies really truly addressed it. And how many times have we seen Data kick it? Like it's just <laughs> I, I'm just I I know you guys have talked about about this, but this season in Picard has really changed my mind about Picard in general because seasons one and two were not exactly my favorite. This season feels like exactly what I was hoping for when I saw that a Picard show was coming out. Um, I think Terry Metellus is killing it right now. Um, I'm like I'm so geeked out about how many different things that they've done just in this season alone. And come on, we had the entire bridge crew in one room. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We get the observation scene. Uh, do you feel that there's any characters that uh, they're being properly serviced or you wish there was even maybe even a little bit more of them? Or you just feel like, no, everything's perfect. I have no notes. <laughs> um, you know, I can always do a little less of Raffi, but that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> um, I I really love what they're doing with Data. I'm glad that Data's back in the mix um, and that we're finally getting to see some conclusions to just Data in general. Um, the one character I would love to see, and I just don't think it's going to happen, but it's Chief O'Brien. Um <laughs> I love him. Like it's not even like it's not even that he served a huge purpose. Like he's just like he's just a welcome like whenever they like do the transporter, I I expect to see some O'Brien somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. A nice O'Brien, even a reference, some sort of straight reference. We gotta get yeah. something for sure. You know, and like they've mentioned a few times, I don't I don't think it's gonna happen, but uh, and this is not next gen, but they've mentioned Janeway's name, I feel like, in passing, like one or two times. Yeah. And I'm wondering. Yeah. Any straight thoughts you have that doesn't necessarily fit into our grades? I love that we finally get to see um, Riker and Troy together and just like talking about it was weird that the last time we saw them cooking some pizza, like they seemed pretty okay with each other and then Riker going on this mission and coming out to space it feels like he's been avoiding her so it was nice to see them back together and just kind of talking like how we used to know them the last time we see uh Riker and Troy is episode six I believe and I guess just reading some comments they were supposed to pop up in episode seven so seven and eight feel like it's its own sort of episode like it's a two-parter yeah. in the middle of a 10 ar episode arc right. it still feels like these two are they are of a piece but they had to cut out Riker and Troy because it was disrupting the Vatic flow of episode seven sure. so that's why it's like a little weird like well what have they been doing all this time right <laughs> and just hanging out in the cell but it, it was it was fantastic to see uh Marina Sardis back as Troy seeing the two of them together I really like that um, towards in the movies, towards the end, and I think in her Voyager appearances, Marina Sirtis was not even trying a little bit to re <laughs> to do the accent that she had given Troy all those mm -hmm. years. She was just going full Brit, and yeah. uh, and and I think she reined it back in for Nepenthe in season one of Picard, and it's definitely back here. But I think the Troy role is more interesting than people ever gave it credit for, and it's 
unfortunately to the detriment of the character that the writers, especially in the later seasons, weren't able to take what was interesting about the character and the role of counselor and do mm-hmm. anything interesting with it. But that's a discussion for another day. But <laughs> but I, I feel like they're, they're kind of rectifying that here. Like it, it feels like she's more of a character who's more involved. She has a purpose of being exactly. there. Like, it, it kind of felt like when, when they brought her on in episode six, I was like, <laughs> okay, well, we'll at least have like a marital tiff. <laughs> we'll know yeah. that. But it does feel like she's, she has more purpose than just being like, I feel people's feelings. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and definitely I, I want to talk about more that more later in one of the grades, but yes, absolutely. And the other part I was just going to say though, but once we saw her, she's the last one. Yeah. I mean, data was in the last episode and they're still sorting all that out. But once she's integrated back in, it's like, yes, she was the missing piece oh, that yeah. made it feel like what's, what's going on here. That was nice. Uh, I've been pulling Terry Metalis comments from interviews he did with Collider after every episode. So I've got two segments here, two questions. One, because for some reason it's the internet and it's mm-hmm. fandom. There is still some doubt uh, out there that I've seen that Vatic, maybe she's not dead. And uh, so the question <laughs> yeah. was, you mentioned Vatic going out of the airlock, which is such a fun scene. Can you talk a little bit about the construction of that moment? Terry Mattel says, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't think we would be able to pull it off visual effects wise because it felt prohibitively expensive, but we have a brilliant team that was able to do it. In fact, when the writers pitched it to me, I was like, are you guys crazy? We can't do that. Then to have her explode against the whole of the Shrike. I think if I remember correctly, we were at the end of the season. I might've gotten really mad in the writer's room being like, guys, but it is undeniably satisfying to watch it happen in this episode. There are not a lot of space battles or anything. So maybe you could save your pennies to make it work. So that's what we did. It definitely signals she's dead, which the audience should be going, well, wait a second. She's dead. You blow up the Shrike. We still have two episodes left. What's going on? So that was the thought process. It is definitely how would you kill the big boss yet? What's going on? So there's that. Seemed pretty obvious that once uh, Vatic starts talking to a floating head through her hand, then it's oh. like, okay. They're playing a, a longer more, game. There's more to come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is the mini boss for sure. And there, there's more to come, which I have so many theories about. Um, <laughs> but again, we got to give it up to Amanda Plummer. She's wonderful. And what a villain. Like, just pissed all over that role. <laughs> yes. Like, we talk about Brent Spiner and all that he did. But, like, she commanded the strike. She was really good. Yeah. And and on paper, she has given a paper thin role and yeah. and makes a real meal of it. She this is a, a multi award winning on Trek Mary Kill performance by Amanda Plummer. <laughs> She's won the Anton Critian. She's won the Shatner. And we even created for one episode the Montalban just to show Ooh. how she really went for it. Ooh, I <laughs> so, did that. <laughs> just throw that, just throw that in there. And this episode opens with her just smoking on the bridge. Which... Yeah, I, I love that she they made smoking a thing that a villain does again, but I love that yeah. she actually made it look cool. She <laughs> did. Yeah. You know what? You're totally right. <laughs> if she had had like a vape or something, it would not have been a great bit. Well, at first I thought it was a vape. I'm like, okay, that makes sense in the 25th century. Sure, I'll go with it. Uh, yeah. But then it was not. It was like, okay, cool. She's still do- she's sticking to the classics. Great. Yeah. So about that observation lounge scene, what went into that reunion scene, Clyder asks, was there any intentionality about where everyone sits, the dynamics at play, what's said, what isn't said, what went into that? Well, I got to say that 
I watch these whenever they come out right at midnight. So I'm kind of groggy towards the end of them. But I definitely stood right up when I was like, why is Beverly sitting at the end of the table? So, don't i just like remember they like saved a seat for data to to picard's left side i'm like yep. shouldn't beverly be sitting there anyway terry <laughs> metallis says no other than i wish we had time to make the scene longer and they could say more other than we know we wanted deanna and beverly across from each other so that they could hold hands in the moment no and then to add on to the which i which is super corny but okay but, but okay but yeah great. okay Fine, 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 fine. <laughs> the best part of the scene, which I'm reading, I'm reading now. It's this is the best part of the scene. I'm sorry, at least it was to me, but maybe this will get some people on my side. In this scene, this is when Data, after he has merged with Lore, he walks in and everyone's like, "Meet the new Data," and everyone's like, "Yay!" And Metallus <laughs> reports. Aside from that. What is interesting was that Michael Dorn had decided in the moment of nostalgia that he would be the only one who wasn't entirely touched that Data had returned. (laughs) In his mind, he was like, whatever, this isn't our Data. I don't care about that robot. And that was kind of funny. So in that scene, as Data's talking, he's kind of like, Worf, all right, whatever, let's just get to the meeting. And if if you really look at it, which is funny, so there's some road to travel with those two characters if you ever bring them back. Great job, Michael Dorn. What a, what a fantastic angle to play with Worf. <laughs> it's, it's very Worf. And, you know, like, even though we've got sort of the yoga Worf. Um, <laughs> yoga Worf. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's what I keep thinking in my mind. It's just Zendo or like Buddha Worf, which just doesn't feel right. So having little moments like that where Michael Dorn chooses to be like, let's get down to the brass tags. I'm like, that's the Worf we know. <laughs> He's like, I don't have time for this nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't even look like the data I used to know. (laughs) Exactly right. Who is this old guy? Uh, And then one last straight thought, the shuttlecraft Emerson. I don't want to get into all this, but apparently at some point, Worf and Raffi ditched the La Serena, and then they put the cloaking device from the Titan onto the shuttlecraft so that they can go look for Riker. That's what's going on in the background. And so they return to the ship at the end, and uh, it's Shuttlecraft Emerson, Emerson College is Terry Metallus's alma mater. Alma mater. So I just want to. Oh, cool! I love when they do stuff like that. Okay. All right, let's get to the grades. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> okay, great scenes. My greatest scene of this has got to be Data and Lore and the fight to gain back Data's full consciousness and his whole being. Um, just seeing him go through all those different moments of his life that he knows that lore is jealous of and kind of recaps why we love data and the way that he does those. I mean, he's Brent Smiter is amazing. So I just, I have to give it to the data lore scene. All right. I'll cut this if you want, but I'm going to put you back on the spot here. Yeah. You are data and you're given that script. How are you as an actor? approaching your performance because you've got to basically hold two performances in your head, right? Mm. Or no, you don't. No, I mean, you do. And um, I've actually done a role like this where I was actually playing a stand-in for someone who's playing off of like the twin version of themselves. Like, so, so visually it was them um, each time, but I was playing the stand-in. So I had to learn each role. Mm. Um, one of the things that 
bringing back Tatiana Maslany uh, from Orphan Black, one of the things that she used to do apparently was she would listen to specific sets of music and playlists for each character. Um, so when she was getting ready and getting like, so obviously first step, learning the lines, learning the scene, learning the emotional beats of everything, then getting the feel of the character. I mean, those are such diametrically opposite characters that it would be a little bit easier just because of the perspective, the point of view, um, you know, like, and then I would, I would, I would hold on to like key moments of emotionality. So with data, I, you know, Brent Spiner does it so amazingly. I've played robots before, but I, it's amazing how he can communicate such great emotion with such a deadpan delivery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So there would have to be something like, I mean, anytime he plays data, it's like he has like a tight vest around his chest and like his posture is perfect. Anytime he's lore, it's almost like he's in like a Shakespeare puck type of character. Mm. Um, He's full of mischief, you know? So there's, there's a little bit more looseness in the way that he carries himself. Um, Yeah. I, I think that's how I would probably approach it. Like, you know, first you learn the scene from top to bottom and then you go into the emotional beats from each side because you're probably going to be shooting the different characters at different times. So that would probably be what I would do, but you know, acting off of yourself on a green screen, that's not something I've done before. I've always had somebody standing in or something. So that's, that's a curious thing that I would love Brent Spider to talk about sometime. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder what they were, if they had two cameras going, because it's only three uh, angles we've got. Yeah. And I don't even know if he moved. You know what I mean? They could have just know, flipped. <laughs> you know, and that's, yes. that's the beauty and cool thing about film is that like yes. you can do so much with so little movement and you, and you can't, you can't move that much when you're on camera. Um, it has to be very still and to see someone have that different of motion of movement of character of voice in such a small space and small amount of time just brilliant oh so cool so you know while watching it there's nothing it's very inelegant there's no real directing going on it's like we've got to shoot this quickly i wonder how long another thing to even think about is how long did it take to shoot these three scenes you know, it's just That's he in a stand in. This could have been two hours because who knows. But the chintzy beep beep sound effects that are going on and the cascading <laughs> lights, it's all kind of annoying and distracting and very cheap feeling. And the fact that his performance in all three beats as data and then as lore and then we're kind of feeling what the people watching. You know, we've got to remember that side of it, too. Right. You've got. Patrick Stewart and LeVar Burton who are mm. just trying to emote staring at a, a guy just standing there with a right. blank expression. And it, that's all building in. Then you've got the music and all that. And it, it really punches it for me. It was like, it seems corny at first. Sure. And then with the, the home stuff in there, and then you get the Tasha layer in there, but in mm. even in the first beat, it's establishing what it's about. You know, lore's like, what are those trinkets? You look right. in my mind and you've got conquests and desires, the things that are real. And then Data says, these trinkets are memories and the only sensible measure of a worth uh, worth of life. And uh, and then Lore establishes the emotional stakes. He says, well, that's great for you, but I was abandoned and you were given everything. Uh, but what a waste wow. that you have all this. You can't appreciate it. 
Then the next level we get the next beat is uh, data showing Tasha Yar, who we as fans know that that was. And if you hadn't watched the show, you'd wonder who is this woman? Well, clearly this person means a lot to him. Otherwise, why would the memory be there? And of course, fans, we know exactly what that's all about. And then Laura, but starts off with data going like, what's going on? And Laura's just so happy. He's like, I'm consuming you. And then it (laughs) ends with the poker thing. And then Laura's like, wait, why are you giving this to me? And that's when data hits him with the, because I had everything and you had nothing. So like now it's like, well, what's going on here? And then the third beat, spot, (laughs) spot, spot. You had to bring him. Oh, it was so great. Such a great moment. I I freaked out. They do the meow and it's like, I forgot about Spot. I'm, I'm being completely, I just forgot. It's been so long. Yeah. You know, I don't think we've seen Spot since 1994 with Generations. So <laughs> yeah. it's just like, I hadn't thought about Spot. And then the shot is not in the mind space. It's it's after the Picard and Jordy are like, oh my gosh, this looks like surrender. This is it. Data's gone. Yeah. Then you hear the a prelap and it's the meow. <laughs> it's like spot. <laughs> I shouted spot in my apartment in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, and I was I just so too. happy. <laughs> yeah. And then you get this and you get genuine emotion. And what I love, it's you were saying that what what Brent Spiner is able to do with his micro expressions. But I love the part where he's petting him. and He's explaining to Laura, like this simple creature uh, taught me love and uh, he is the best of me. He is the last of me. I love that Brent Spiner does a little chuckle as he's petting spot, just as he said, he taught me to love because the cat and that moment like licks his nose so that, and then when yeah. it does, he improvises and he says, yes, like, yes, of course. Good cat. Uh, and Brent Spiner, he said, this was a really sweet cat. That's all I can tell you. And the cat didn't have to do anything extraordinary. And because over the years, people have been like, you must have hated working with that cat because you said you always hated working with Spot. And he explains the writers of TNG, TNG, particularly Ron Moore and Brandon Braga, would write these absurd scenes where Spot had to be like a genius cat and do some stuff <laughs> that they asked it to do. It's like it's a cat. You can't train it to do anything specific. This cat was not asked to do anything particularly difficult other than to cuddle with me. Just very simple. Um, And I also love that Brent Spiner as lore even thinks in the moment when data starts to like disrupt his programming. Notice he lets the cat down gently. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't just let it jump down. (laughs) That's very nice of him. That means that it was working. (laughs) Yes. So I was just very sweet. And also, I love my cat dearly. So, you know, now same, I can... same. And I yeah. actually have trained my cat to sit on command. Um, <laughs> a lot of treats go into that. Uh, but um... oh, I've got the one where Wharf goes, Spot, come here. I've got it with our cat. She will come if you say it in the right tone. <laughs> Is your cat's name Spot? Because that would be no. amazing. No, no, no. <laughs> I love my cat's name, but it's not Spot. So, yeah. Uh, but I mean what a touching thing to bring back fan service nostalgia whatever it's like no it fits it fits perfectly what's going on here it does and you know talk about how many villains we've seen in this series already and um, that lore was one of them and we got to have the emotional beat of saying I don't fear you I pity you Um, and that's all we really needed with lore because he's such a narcissistic personality, um, who just craves everything that he's never had. Um, which is interesting for 
a, a robot essentially <laughs> or a, an a sentient robot um to be seeking after is like he he at his core he's a jealous creature and to be given then everything and that's what defeats him i think is it's a beautiful very star trek way of solving a problem um and i was like if we have to see data die one more time <laughs> i swear to god, yeah. swear to god if yeah. we have to have jordy <laughs> see data die one more time <laughs> But uh, you're totally right. The only way the Data lore arc was ever going to be resolved was with Data loving him. Yeah. That was it. That was the only solution to that conflict was lore receiving love for sure. But, you know, Terry Metalis was totally right. Like, how can you have a next generation reunion without Data? You can't. Yeah. So you have to figure out, you have to contrive and connive and retcon some other seasons. <laughs> But I mean, even then, they, he did use all, he used a lot of the buffalo. I, I kind of yes. feel like <laughs> if there's anything, if there's something that I'm like, I get that most people are happy with, you know, you've got Raffi in the show. There's certain elements of Star Trek Picard. It's like some of that stuff you could have kept using more of instead sure. of just being like, nah, we're gonna forget it. But anyway, sure. It's just very touching. Those three scenes. Katie, I could not believe it. <laughs> because the rest of the episode these two episodes back to back there was just something kind of janky sloppy about the plotting you could feel that they were trying to just stretch the story out to get through these beats and i was really surprised and on my rewatches for this episode talking to you how many great scenes i found do you have any other ones you want to spotlight oh man uh i I can't think of anything at the moment, but I, I find okay. it interesting that you, you thought they were dragging it out. I thought it, they concluded at least Vatic very quickly. And I, I was very curious afterwards, not going on the premise that I, I haven't seen any of the other ones, but like I have seen the rest of the show and I, I had no idea what they were going to do next. Uh, like I had some ideas, but I, I, the fact that they basically killed their mini boss. I was like, but we don't know who the big boss is. <laughs> I just thought there was something kind of keystone cops or just very sweaty about the entire <laughs> takeover gotcha. of the Titan and battling the four, the changelings. Okay. And, and I think it's all just, you know, time and money. And that mm -hmm. this is all very compressed um, in our episode seven. It's like they weren't even lighting the set. What's going on here? And these <laughs> these fight scenes are just ridiculously silly. But some other great scenes. I thought the first Riker and Troy scene in the holding cell mm. where they're together. And she's like, your, your beard has gone from brown to gray to blood red. Yeah. Um, and they're they're just kind of talking. They're reunited. I thought it was really sweet to have them back together. That's when he calls her Mzadi. She's like, I should have taught yeah. you another word. So we get the Yutaru. <laughs> reference but just seeing them back together and they're so easy with each other and it's like yes Riker and Troy this is very nice Zadi, which was like all the way back to the first episode of TNG yes like what a callback <laughs> yeah absolutely the second scene I'm putting in as a great scene because it's got the it's the reference to I want to live in the city the retro yeah. prairie hipsters that people seem to like her Volcacino or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Ractagino, Rat lattes. Fantastic. Love it. You know, I like that. That scene has the line that was used in the trailer. You know, as soon as Jean-Luc called, you put half a galaxy between us. It's like, yes, it's very clear that they are, there's, this is a marriage in conflict. They've mm -hmm. had this tremendous loss to your point about Nepenthe seem like they seemed okay. <laughs> 
you know, yeah. and then this, they had to kind of like create the, I think this scene, the second scene of the two of them in the cell, maybe tries to address that, but I didn't quite like it. So that's where like Riker is sort of a uh, defensive. He's mad at her because she went in with her empathic betazoid powers and I don't know, took away some of his pain, his grief. So he felt nothing. And he is like, that was mine. And she apologizes. I just think it, what was tough this time, you know, she thought she was doing him a kindness. Like I'll carry the load because I want to help you. And I, I understand that, but it, I don't think because they were rushing through writing the season, they realize that they have two, there are two women cast members the part of the conflict they have with the men characters in the story of the season is taking away or withholding some element of the relationships with sons. Right. <laughs> I don't think they um, realize they did that. And it's kind of weird. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, I do feel like I feel so bad because anytime we see, um, <laughs> like we'll watch TNG just to like put on like in the background or something. And every time we see basically what we call a dream rape episode <laughs> where <laughs> basically Troy gets like beta mm -hmm. raped, <laughs> it's like, Oh, you know, it's just, it's not the best acting and it's not the best writing. And I feel like there are some leftover residual bad writing habits with their characters where it's just like, well, we might as well like deprive them of love in some way or, <laughs> you know, put them through the emotional or physical ringer. And it's like, well, they could do other things, you know, they're actually quite smart. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There, there's been a bit of that um, and that doesn't quite ring true where it's just like, oh, our relationship is in such jeopardy and yet the entirety of Starfleet and all of the different sectors of the galaxy are at stake. But let's talk about this. Yeah, um, but just also it was pretty clean and, and no in scenario. Riker's like, I, you know, I saw my son died and lowered in the ground and I just realized there's nothing after this and I've lost him. And his whole, the first four episodes, it's like, if I had a chance to talk to my son again, I would. You should get to know your son, Picard, all that stuff. That's very clean. He's still grieving. He tried to shove it aside to help Deanna and Kestra deal with all that. That makes perfect sense. And then we get Troy coming back into the story. And suddenly it's actually kind of her fault that he wasn't over it yet. And I just didn't, I, nope. I, I yeah, it didn't make sense. It, it didn't track. Um, it, it was just a bummer that they went in that that direction. That said, the two of them acting against each other and we get to see yeah. all the different levels. Fantastic. Yeah. And then I have just uh, a few more. It's part of a scene. So after they're fighting the changelings, after Data has finally taken back control of the computer and then Raffi boards and she kicks all the changelings ass, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, but afterwards, when they're cleaning up and Worf is phasering the corpses, Worf, yeah. this is the part of it's part of a scene I think is great. Uh, Worf says he tells her she's still doing it wrong. And she's like, what? That's bullshit. And he's like, you must snap at the wrist. And she's like, that's what I was doing. And then Riker goes up to her and says, you're scary. I get what they were going for, and I loved sure. the that part of it. I don't think what got us to that moment worked, but <laughs> but I love I love Worf and Raffi's relationship, and seeing it mm. in this dynamic in this moment really popped. I really liked it. She's really great with him. Um, it was nice to see her play off of sort of another begrudging character. Um, yes, yes, it, you know it. it there haven't been too many times that I've warmed to Raffi, but her against Worf 
has been a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. And then I like the, I I'm putting it as a great scene because this show is very firm in saying that data and Jordy are BFFs. So mm-hmm. we need the scene after it's all resolved and data uses the contraction. Jordy asks him how he feels. I think that's great ish. I really wish in the moment after he was back and he starts taking over control of the computer and that's all that part's all resolved. I really wish Jordy had said data. I'd like you to meet my daughters or like, mm, yeah. Introduced or girls. Yeah. Here's my best friend in the whole universe. Right. You know what I mean? Like something like that, because I didn't even that's think about that, but a hundred percent. Yeah. Because they are wonderful actresses. And um, the other daughter, the one that just came in in this episode are she, she's her, his actual daughter, right? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Sydney's yeah. Not. That's, yep. right. that's right. Um, and they're wonderful. They're I'm, I'm excited to see more out of them. Um, but yeah, though no, I, I agree. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but yeah. I, and of course, Data would love to meet his daughters. I know it would have been nice to see him light up at that. And and maybe you could have. Here's a bad joke for that moment. He could have Ooh, smiled like oh, he could have been like this wonderful and then turned to Jordy. You had sex. <laughs> <laughs> and then just lean in the doorway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. And then I'm putting the Enterprise D crew reunion in the observation lounge just because I feel like people would be mad if I did. Yeah. So. Oh I no, guess. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Highlight of the episode is just all of them together, and it was like, the it almost felt like it was the finale, and I was like, where where are we going next? <laughs> yeah. All right. Best Trek tropes. So I would have to say, you know, I don't talk too much about Jack Crusher, but his like new abilities of like taking over someone's but like it it wasn't something i had seen at least i had seen trek wise but felt very trek magic um <laughs> when uh when he takes over sydney's body and he takes over it or no he can hear sydney thinking um i it felt very trekky i was like what what is this how are we going to science this away <laughs> mhm but also leads into more mystery, which I think we're going to see a lot of really cool stuff coming up. Yeah. And it's a cool thing. They have try to have him do where he takes over Mira on the bridge to enter in the override code of Picard's. Yeah. Tactically. I still think he could have done a couple of other things to maybe make sure that yeah. that happens, but you know, he's, but he's also there. just discovering that. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's 20 years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. He definitely he's, looks 20. Hold on. He's 20. <laughs> Can you hear my air quotes? I'm flapping my <laughs> fingers. <is>. Very hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and he was what? 16 when he saw Picard. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. He was 15 years old when he <laughs> went to the bar. Didn't look. Mid thirties, not at all. Uh, it's the hat he had the he had the MCU. Uh, yes, he had the Captain America. Him. Yep, <laughs> good call. Yes, um, I had Ractagino Klingon coffee. Was mm-hmm. very happy to hear that. Oh yeah, Data's ethical subroutine. <laughs> yeah, it's yep. why they they believe that Data won't be able to defeat Lore. Data using contractions, which is a TNG trope. I guess we'll put the observation room scene again, where they're all together briefing, doing a briefing. Yeah. Uh, Worst Trek tropes. (laughs) I'm actually kind of bummed at myself for this. 
when they basically have the crew and they're about to like kill one of the crew um vatic's about to kill one of the crew and you think they're gonna kill the like face character that you've seen so many times um i can't remember what type of uh being it is but like vatic has a gun to their head and then pulls it on somebody else um and i was like oh okay that's a red shirt moment (laughs) yeah well, we know Tavine a little bit, but I mean, the amount well, of how much that's just literally from Star Trek three is yeah. is pretty. Yeah. So repeating yeah. that the death, the David death scene in Star Trek three, I think it's a good one here. So I didn't really like the whole Jack. If you don't come to the bridge, I'm going to start killing everybody every 10 minutes. Like here's as I said, it's very Keystone Cops, very sweaty. It's like how many yeah. changelings do they have? Like we're never, there's not an established number. We don't know what the forces are, what the Titans numbers are. And I know that they just didn't have time to like break down the specifics because it couldn't get into what they wanted to do. But the changelings right. are also changelings and they can't really use, and I don't know. Yeah, different it's, form of, tra- like it's not yeah, the kind of changelings yeah. that we've seen before. And it's not just because we have better graphics. <laughs> very, and I'm very, this, I gotta, I realize I haven't mentioned this all season long, especially with Vatic's story in the last episode is the, there's like an implication that, they must have cut it where remember she when we see Amanda Plummer as like the evil scientist, the, mm-hmm. the changeling yeah. sticks through her and then yeah. it looks like it's absorbing her or going into her. So there seems like there's some sort of uh, like a takeover sig- of her. Body. Yeah, it seems like there's some sort of suggestion that the changelings can kind of like if there's a hole in a body, we can ooze in there and take <laughs> over the body. There's sort of that implication. So mm-hmm. it was just the whole thing is, you know, what I mean, like it's just like it's a, a lot to make sense. It doesn't make a lot a sense if you think about it too much, but yes, the standoff, the 10 minutes, that, that part was kind of cool, but yes, I, I'm with you on that worst structure. Mine is what the, the cloaking device situation. Can we beam through oh, the cloak? Yeah. Can they pick up the cloak? <laughs> what's, what's going on with that? It's always unclear. What are the set rules on this? Yeah, yeah exactly. Most of it's time quality. Um, I mean, I just, I keep going back to the, the 10 minutes, uh, or I start killing people thing, but, um, I think that's good. The standoff thing. I kind of had that yeah. in there. Um, I think when, uh, Vatic asks Mira after like, do you have someone you love? And mm-hmm. he says, I have a son. And she's like, Picard has a son. You know, do you want to see your son again? Then, then Jack Crusher should come up here. You'll tell us where he is. Right. Also, that's that's one that's stupid too, right? <laughs> like, why right. can't they find him on the ship? They have two ships <laughs> worth of sensors. She's in control and, of the Titan and has yeah. the strike. <laughs> can't you just say, "Hey, computer, locate Jack Crusher"? <laughs> exactly right. He's wearing a com badge for God's sake. Yeah, I, right. You could probably beam him in <laughs> yes. right away. But I guess <laughs> the most of its time quality is is making sure everything that first everything's emotional. And there's a part of me that's like, that's good. Cause then the data lore scene doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like if there's like a computer yeah. version of that, you can imagine the late TNG, late Voyager, it's all very te- techno babble. So I right. get the, the emphasis on emotion, but in the past Starfleet officers would just repeat their name, rank and serial number. Yeah. And to frustrate them. And and Vatic's line is even like, this is about control. And so if they were just doing that, she'd be like, I see you're trying to control the situation. Well, I'm going to show you who actually has control. You know, like it still works, but it's like, it's not emotional. But to me, the emotion is the standoff. It's the tension yeah. of the moment. And you let the actors act their feelings while saying a line that doesn't comport with how they're feeling. That's drama. Anyway, 
I agree. <laughs> Data, when he says after taking control of the ship's computer that he's initiating an immediate shift change, that's a hockey line. Now, we don't get a lot of sports references in Star Trek very often. Yeah, so. no, I didn't catch that. Wow, good catch. Also, the chairs and the lamp in the counselor's office at the end when Troy finally meets with Jack to go into his head and try to get him to walk through the red door. The, right. the chairs they're sitting in have these weird, this weird like black pattern on white cloth. And I was like, I was trying to find it. Is this like a like a cost plus chair? Is it West Elm? I couldn't find the pattern, but it you, felt... you know that in a couple of weeks it's going to show up in Goodwill right. around Burbank or so. Uh, that's right. And then the lamp that was on the desk as well. I'm like, that's a very modern uh, lamp as well. Anyway, it's a very modern lamp. Very modern lamp. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. Is the line that Vatic says, "My sweet boy," where, where he where she addresses jack she like says like my sweet boy or something like that i think she calls him both sweet boy and baby boy baby boy yeah. which i almost put in the line which i almost put in an of its time quality but i let it slide (laughs) (laughs) also are you just bringing it out because it's great that they're calling a 34 year old man sweet boy and baby boy boy. (laughs) well there was something that really stood out to me because I mean, the whole time Vatic is looking for Jack Crusher and like everything is just very, I'm the evil villain. I'm the evil villain. And then Jack shows up and she has this like sickly sort of desperate housewives type of like thing come over her and just says, my sweet boy. And I'm like, Ooh, what the fuck? Like it creeped me out (laughs) so much more. (laughs) Um, So that was, that was one of the lines that like, like, it got me in a way that I didn't quite emotionally know how to take. <laughs> I have Troy saying to Riker about the changeling that came to her as Riker. Good in bed, bad at pizza. Yes. <laughs> a great Vatic line when she's sitting in the captain's chair. This is cozy. I'm going to take it with me. Yep. Uh, great delivery more than anything else. Seven of nine. Get off my bridge. <laughs> oh, get off. My- yes. Great. Great. Uh, Air Force One call back there. <laughs> Uh, I think Troy in the second cell scene, I already mentioned this, but I I love it so much because it was using the trailer. You left the second Jean-Luc called and put half a galaxy between us. I'm like, when I saw that in the trailer, I'm like, okay, something is going on between them. (laughs) Very well said. Um, Worf, when he rescues Troy and Riker from the cell, Deanna, I have counted the days since I last saw you like waves in the ocean, constant and unending. (laughs) Oh my god. That line I was like, Morph, are you still not over her? Like, <laughs> buddy. Come on now. Okay, so it's tough because uh I'm a huge Deep Space Nine fan and he was married to Dax, to Jadzia Dax. So that she doesn't even get mentioned where was not the Enterprise once. crew for his wedding? They did try when they were doing the wedding episode to like figure out a way to get them, but because they couldn't get all of them, they just decided not to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's okay, don't reference it. Does it still work? And it's like, he's so proud of her. He's so proud of himself. He can't wait to tell her that he's found an inner peace that she was helping him with. So that's how it works. I have, it's just really fun. She can feel that. She can feel that now. So good for you. He's like, look at this new thing I learned. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, the, the data line of greeting USS Titan. This is your friendly positronic pissed off security system back online. I was like, <laughs> here it is. Yep. 
And that's great because it, it just it wraps up. He was the security system at Daystrom Station. So, of course, it's like a perfect role for him. The scene where where they crash Jordy and Alondra in the tech room with Data uh-huh. Jordy says, six years ago, you brought a gift to my anniversary dinner on Rigel, Picard. A Chateau Picard, Bordeaux, which you said was too dry because your taste in wine is pedestrian at best. Uh, <laughs> all the disses of Chateau Picard this season have been great. Wonderful. <laughs> Lore, evolution, my dear Watson. Thought that was great. That's a good one. Go ahead. It was more data. Um, you took thing. You took the. It's in their whole exchange, um, but it's towards the end. And he says, "You took the things that were me, and in doing so, you have become me. We are one now. We are me." And I don't know. That gets me like misty and teary because so much of Data's whole thing is trying to become human, and he's so far beyond human now that like to not only become self-aware, sentient, emotionally mature, but to understand someone who hasn't reached that place and to be as kind and as sweet and as giving tree-esque as he was. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, like Data is fully realized now. <laughs> and I have, I have the final line between them, goodbye, brother, where they both say goodbye, brother, because oh. that's how they spoke to each other the whole time. And oh. I think his performance as as lore when he's realizing this is it, but he's like feeling overwhelmed emotionally. I thought it was great. Yeah, I have three more lines. Do you have any more? I think Vedic says fucking solids at one point, doesn't he? Yes, that was her last line. Oh, fucking solids. I got that yep. line for sure. <laughs> People don't like the F words in Star Trek, but in Star Trek you know, Picard, it's different deal. And this is great. That was a good, that was a good one. <laughs> and you know, and it, it doesn't feel right when Picard says it, but when Vatic says like, uh, like they, there's meddling kids like that, mm-hmm. in that way, like fucking solid. I was like, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Jordy says, well, I hope that you can sense as fully as any human has ever felt anything, how happy I am to have my friend back. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. And I actually, you know, we don't give Jack a lot of credit for his dialogue, but I liked his line to Troy. Well, I'll say this. You don't spend a lifetime practicing the art of charismatic deflection because you want to invite <laughs> people in. So I, I, I enjoyed that very solid. much. Yeah. Any more? Um, I, I think I'm out. I think I'm all out. right. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. <sighs> Here's the problem we've got Amanda Plummer, we've got Brent Spiner, and we've got freaking Jonathan Frakes. And even Seven is really amazing in this. Um, <sighs> I, I haven't been able to pick. I mean, I have to go with Brent Spiner just because, just because of his performance. Um, yeah, let's do it. Brent you Spiner. It's the, the yep. it's the episode. Like we didn't talk about the seven and Shaw sure. back and forth when they're standing in line waiting to be executed. But there is kind <laughs> of a thing going on between them and the episode. You know, mm-hmm. Jack's freaking out because like, who am I? What am I? I've always felt different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got to kind of like face the music here. You know, there's other things going on in the episode, but I don't think this episode works without the data stuff. It really doesn't. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> and it is such a, an amazing performance and that, that is the thing that we we focused on the most because it was such an amazing performance. Um, so yeah, it's got to be data. <laughs> so the Shatner. Oh, okay. Um, 
Man, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> so it's Shaw. just going for it. <laughs> oh, you're going with you're going with Shaw. Okay. <laughs> I I think Shaw. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, he had he won the Anton Caridian in the first episode, and he's been quiet since. So here he is getting the Shatner, <laughs> telling Seven of Nine there are consequences. You gotta. What are I you mean, doing? <laughs> you know, it's just the, his delivery. His like he's. I really do love him. He's Stashwick is really wonderful in this role. And Plummer's I, always going for it. She's always eligible for the Shatner because of how much know, she goes for it. It, it. You know what? And maybe I'm going to. The gonna Shatner, by the way, doesn't have to be a negative. I think traditionally no, I Kristen and I lean that way, but a lot of our guests have not. And I think that's great. Okay. Well, you know, and it, if we're going for like, all out balls to the wall like obviously Bretton Spiner is amazing in this um and Amanda Plummer is just the epitome of a Star Trek villain and so I just don't associate the Shatner award with Amanda Plummer <laughs> so the Montalban like, we're giving her another Montalban <laughs> I, I, I probably yeah <laughs> okay she's getting another Mon- okay that's two Montes <laughs> two Montes for Amanda P there you go. There you go. And Todd Sashwick or Shatner. That's great. What part of this incident are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? <laughs> um, they are teaching definitely how to react when um, a, a changeling has a gun to your head and they're searching <laughs> for a captain's long lost son he didn't know he had. So you think they're reiterating the protocol name, rank, and serial number? Yeah. They have ah, to. Great. Oh, perfect. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for this season, instead of uh, our the this was a different category or grade when we're doing other episodes. But for this Picard season, we're doing what part of this episode is Picard embellishing in or omitting or omitting from his memoir? Ooh, <laughs> I feel like he's embellishing his involvement of Data's split um, and he's omitting uh, oh, you're saying you're saying that he's going to say that he and Jordy helped out a little bit saved. more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. he that's great. I think he's going to write in there that that he's going to say that there was actually a beat between data, like coming back to life and then yeah. him not immediately asking him. That's great. But can you save the ship? <laughs> because yeah, yeah, Picard but- is only you could argue that the only reason that data exists now is that Picard just needed him to fix the ship. That's all the, the time That's every the episode only. anytime data saves it it's because all of the humans are knocked out unconscious That's, that's right. in a different time zone like on a different ship They're so he children. this is great so he knows data's gonna read his memoir so he's oh, not yeah. going to say he's gonna say as soon as he was brought back on board from daystrom station i looked at my old friend and I wondered what was pop. Oh, you're right. He's going to totally build up that part of the story. So it's not just like, oh, uh-huh. my son was in danger. We need to turn the robot robot back on. Because <laughs> no, he's still trying to figure out his son. Like, he's not going to be embellishing on that. <laughs> that is beautiful. No, I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. All right. Well, we've arrived at the end. Trek, marry, or kill? Surrender. Okay. Um, all right, check me or kill. And, and I've thought about this a lot. Um, I think I'm gonna have to marry it. I really You're gonna marry the episode. Okay. I'm gonna marry. I mean, look, I just got married, so there might be a conflict of interest. Um, but <laughs> definitely marry because 
this was just everyone's performance was top notch and I I loved it through and through. Um, there were so many great moments. I cried. I laughed. I I shouted yeah, and I shouted spot. <laughs> so um, <laughs> these are all the kinds of emotions that I need to marry an episode. <laughs> I love it. All right, we're marrying episode eight. Wow, Katie, this has been fantastic. I, I'm so glad you came on for this one. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Is there anything you want to plug? Do you want people to follow you in social media? You can also just say, please leave me be. It's totally fine. <laughs> uh, you could follow me um, most places at, at El Sassy Pants, E-L-S-A-S-S-Y-P-A-N-T-S. El Sassy Pants with a Z if you're on TikTok um, for reasons I've talked about in several other podcasts. But I am <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, you can hear me pretty much weekly on the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast on the Geekscape Network. We are going to have a really special guest coming up. So if you're into therapy and real life uh, problems being solved and, and just having fun with just the common everyday to day things, um, please check out the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast. Um, we are going to be talking to the TikTok star People Displeaser um, about all of his advice and all the great things that you can learn from him. Yeah. Sounds great. Check that out. Thanks, Katie Hampton, for being on the show. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with an all new episode. Until then, TMK out, everybody.